and sing me of bread lines. Tell me of front page news. Sing me of strikes and last minute headlines. Dress your observation in syncopation. Sing me a song with social significance. There's nothing else that will do. It must get hot with what is what or I won't love you. Satirical, putting the mirror into miracle. It must be packed with social fact, or I won't love you. Sing me of kings and conferences, Marshall. Tell me of mills and mines. Putting the mirror into miracle. It must be packed with social fact, or I won't love you. Sing me of kings and conferences, Marshall. Tell me of mills and mines. Sing me of courts that are.
nothing I can do or nothing I can say that folks don't criticize me but I'm going to do just as I want to anyway and don't care just what people say if I should take the notion to jump into the ocean ain't nobody's business if I do if I go to church on Sunday then cabaret all day Monday ain't nobody's business if I do if my man ain't got no money and I say take all of mine honey Ain't nobody's business if I do. If I give him my last nickel and it leaves me in a pickle, ain't nobody's business if I do. hit me then for him to jump up and quit me ain't nobody's business if I do I swear I won't call no copper if I'm beat up by my papa ain't nobody's business if i do nobody's business ain't nobody's business nobody's business if i do Good morning, mutineers. <clears throat> this is the B. I'm the B and you're you. And this is 10 o'clock and it's Saturday morning. Time for labor and love. Labor history, commentary, opinion. You name it, we got it. Labor meets the road. This is the show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, a negotiating table that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. 
Good morning, everybody. This is the B working the day shift with you, the morning shift on the weekend. Hope we're getting paid double. Hope you're getting paid double where you work. And um, what did we start out with? We started out with uh, some swingy stuff today. We had... uh, Stomping at the Savoy, okay, the Savoy Ballroom in New York City in the late 1930s was one of the few places where blacks and whites could dance on the same floor, even dance sometime with each other. Second there, we had Emily Joy with Sing Me a Song with Social Significance. Because I forgot to add, along with all the labor stuff, we have songs and music of social significance on this show. And Billie Holiday, with a real brassy uh, version of her famous Taint Nobody's Business If I Do, which the women of America have to sing to the rest of us. It's ain't nobody's business what I do with my body. Taint nobody's business if I do. Okay, so we're coming at you right now, and uh, I want to share some of our uh, credos that we have. of our credos that we have on this show, credos talking about everything from immigration to uh, abortion and beyond. Meanwhile, in the background, Miles Davis, kind of blue. He'll be backing us up here all day long. Okay, looking for our credos. We start out with something by the late... Lawrence Ferlinghetti, Pity the Nation. Pity the Nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the Nation whose leaders are liars, whose rages and sages are silenced, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the Nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero, and aims to rule the world by force and torture, pity the nation that knows no other language but its own, and no other culture but its own, pity the nation whose beauty is money, and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed, pity the nation 
Oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, sweet tears of thee, sweet land of liberty. Here's a reminder from Robert Reich. Always keep this in mind when they come on the news and say, well, the Dow added 234. Reich says, your reminder that the richest 1% own half of the stock market and the richest 10% own almost all, 92% of it. So when they brag about the stock market, we're not talking about the economy that 90% of us inhabit. That's a good one to keep in mind because I always wondered as a young person, why do I care what the Dow Jones average is doing? Well, in reality, because that's the 1% that are dragging the rest of us along with them. Here's Utah Phillips on labor education. No. Kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns of the Northeast. Why? Because we organized. We broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. Those were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for, they were bled for, they were died for by working people, by people like us. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories. Damn it. No root, no fruit. Okay, this is the B, and we're coming at you from Mutiny Radio. And what have we got for you this week? Going on with Chipotle. Chipotle shuts down its only unionized store. How can that be? Organizers say it's retaliation. We got Labor and Love Report about the state of the labor movement all around the world. Railroaders are furious with Biden's presidential emergency board who backed the big companies in almost every one of the points. Bill Russell. Bill Russell, of course, was a famous basketball player. What does he have to do with the labor movement or the protest movement? Whatever happened to those 43 million, 43 million, honestly, 43 students who disappeared in Mexico from one day to the next? They got on a bus to take a tour out to the countryside where they were going to be working, and they never came back. To this day, their whereabouts are a mystery. 
Got a song sung by a nurse who's sitting up late at night with a COVID patient. And hear from Tupac Shakur. And a whole lot more. All right, so let's see. We want to get Chipotle shut down its only unionized store. Organizers say it's retaliation. This is on In These Times. While the company denies the closure is related to union activity, it fits a larger pattern of union-busting efforts at other franchises like Starbucks and Heine Brothers Coffee. On June 22nd of this year, workers at Chipotle organization location in Augusta, Maine, made history by becoming the first store in the U.S. file a union for a union election with the NLRB. Then, on Tuesday, not quite a month later, Chipotle announced that it would permanently close the Augusta location while the spokespeople for the fast, casual dining giant deny that the closure is related to union organizing activity, workers and their supporters say the drastic move is a clear act of retaliation and union-busting 101. Hmm. Chipotle store closure coincide with a broader, broader, more aggressive escalation of anti-union actions taken by other employers who have also recently closed stores and production plants where workers were organizing, including multiple Starbucks locations, Heiner Brothers Coffee in Kentucky, Amy's Kitchen in California, and G&D Integrated LLC in Illinois. By closing the Augusta store, Jeffrey Neil Young, a lawyer representing the Chipotle workers, told the New York Times, it's signaling to Chipotle workers elsewhere who are involved in or contemplating nation organizational drives that if you organize, you might be out of a job. But workers are refusing to be bullied and silenced by the company, and they are fighting back. And if you go to the In These Times website, there's a petition. Tell Chipotle CEO to reopen Augusta. Okay, so check that out. And there's a form that you can fill out and email in telling Chipotle that they should let their workers unionize if that's their will, and reopen the store. See what comes of that, huh? Okay, let's go to radio labor now. Struggle for workers' rights must be fought worldwide. This is our weekly labor connection. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. 
Hello, I'm Mark Belanger. My father was a political prisoner detained for the crime of being active in the union movement. That is Kamal Azkan, an assistant general secretary of Industrial Global Union. Mr. Azkan has announced his candidacy for the position of general secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the organization which represents national union centers such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States. Industrial Global Union represents more than 50 million union members in 140 countries working in mining, energy, manufacturing, and garment production. I asked Mr. Ozcan why he decided to run for the position of ITUC General Secretary. Every day since my childhood, I have seen new abuses of the rights and dignity of working people. It is my anger against this injustice that motivates me every morning to go again, to commit my energy to the struggle for change. It is true that these flames were very well and truly lit for the first time during the coup coup d'etat in Turkey. My father was a political prisoner detained for the crime of being active in the union movement. I spent most of my childhood years in front of prison. While in jail, my father was told he could choose only one person permitted to visit him. And he chose me. And you can imagine the effect this had on myself. So these years of trauma for me gave a real class consciousness and the clear determination to commit my life's work to fight for democracy, fight for fundamental human and labor rights. And during this time, our progressive movement fought back against harsh crackdown. And I was exposed to violence, harassment in these activists and unionist years, repeatedly being detained, arrested, and attacked by security forces. I know how it feels to be hit with water cannons. These were the experiences that set the fire burning hard uh, inside me, and that fire to fight for justice, dignity, respect, and democracy for working people burn as strongly today as it ever did. And it will never subside. Speaking of Turkey, it seems that authoritarian governments are on the rise around the world, and one of their first targets is trade unions and labor rights. What can unions do about this? You're right, Mark. Workers everywhere are facing increasingly emboldened anti-democratic forces. We see governments in so many countries pushing through labor legislation that moves power even further from workers and towards capital. Power grabs and consolidation by autocratic rulers around the world, a coup d'etat in Myanmar, a stolen election in Belarus, horrendous war in Ukraine, and journalists are detained 
are expelled. And Uyghurs in China, in re-education centers in the 21st century, and in mass media, even more obedient to the ruling elite. And we see that police forces and judiciary processes are used against workers and our trade unions. And we also see curtailment of fundamental rights to organize, to demonstrate, to be informed of the facts, to participate in the democratic process. So delivering the workers justice in this global context can only be achieved by an international trade union confederation that is more progressive. We will continue to make an unconditional defense of fundamental workers and trade union rights, particularly the freedom of association, the right to strike, the right to collective bargaining as the first priority of our ITUC. We see shameless bosses taking the opportunity to fire and rehire on lower pay and conditions or to relocate production, chasing cheaper labor costs. And uh, all of this means that in the factories, offices, mines around the world, managers increasingly behave with impunity. So we will continue to make this defense of fundamental rights. And in uh, the period to come, given the the huge attack against democracy, democratic institutions, fundamental human rights, fundamental workers' rights. It is one of the main axes of our union movement and our international trade union confederation. You've mentioned what the ITUC could do. Could you tell us a bit about the priorities of an ITUC that you would lead? Inclusiveness, democracy, and transparency will be our main value. It is my objective that all the national confederations strongly feel that they are a proud part of this great organization, regardless of their region, regardless of their size, regardless of their political tradition or culture. I am a passionate team leader. We will energize a strong culture and identity among staff members uniting and motivating them around purpose, values, and strategic goals of the organization. For sure, a special attention will be given to increasing capacity around campaigning and organizing. With our joint energy, commitment, and dedication, and we can build a new chapter of proud history for the anti-Islamic I propose a strategic positioning of ITUC to be more progressive, a strong campaigner, and a strong negotiator with these simplified strategic goals, particularly under three big bullet points, fighting for rights, strong and advocacy, building union power, and growth of our movement, and shaping our future through just transition. I propose a transformation in the functioning of the organization, transformation in the governance, making inclusive transparency, democracy, main establishments of the organization, transformation of the work of the leadership, 
on a structure and model of leadership with clear and visible definitions of roles and uh, responsibilities. I wanted a transformation in the regional work with much more cooperation, coordination and alignment with the regional organization. And I also want to do a transformation of the work of Council of Global Unions with an increasing capacity around campaigning and organizing. Let's step up to this challenge altogether around the world. As I followed you in your career as a labor leader, I have noticed that you have a particular interest in labor media. What do you think of labor media these days? Let me take the opportunity to congratulate you and the Radio Labor team for the excellent service that you provide to our movement. And our movement really needs much more Radio Labor because all the freedoms are really based on correct information for grassroots people, for rank and file membership of our trade unions. And we need a democratic, transparent, and open channels to access real information. From that point of view, Mark, you uh, personally and Radio Labour playing an important role. I really look forward to having the good service from you and your input is an important base for our union movement at all levels, at international, national, at local level. And I again express my appreciation, gratitude for the great work that you are doing together with all our comrades in labor media. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. Hello, I'm Seymour Ainsborough. Allow me first to recall and reiterate the words of Nelson Mandela, who said education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. And allow me to rephrase that to say education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to eliminate child labour. That is Dennis Signalo, the Africa Regional Director of Education International, EI's Global Union Federation, which represents 30 million teachers and other education workers in 172 countries. It has a special focus on helping the 160 million children in the world who are trapped in child labor. Mr. Signalo spoke at the fifth global conference of the elimination of child labor held May 15th to 20th in Durban, South Africa. If you are talking about education, certainly the most important people who drive education are teachers, the women and men in our classrooms. Education International, being the Global Union Federation of Teachers, is working with its member organizations in various countries to eliminate child labor. I'll share with you five key strategies that are being used and give you examples related to these strategies. First, the unions and teachers Collect evidence, so the first strategy really is research. Collecting evidence about who is missing out on education. Children that are in child labor, for example, and the reasons why, and where these children are, what are the sectors, the industries, and who is keeping them away from school. Education International has developed a tool which is called an equity audit tool, so that tool is used by teachers actually 
to identify children who are missing out on education, including those who are in child labor. We have several examples of our programs in 13 countries, actually, all over the world. For example, in Senegal, we've heard about Malawi. The unions are also working in Malawi on the ground, actually, to track these children and engage in advocacy with local authorities, including traditional leaders, including school management committees, to actually bring these children who are missing out on education to school. So the second point really is advocacy and dialogue. And then the third point is awareness raising. This is very important because quite often parents may not be sending their children to school thinking that actually they're doing the best thing by allowing them to earn an income for themselves and for the family. But uh, teacher unions as well as teachers at school or local level engage with parents, engage with traditional leaders to get children into school, to raise awareness, consciousness, so that parents act and everybody else acts. And we've seen very successful examples, of course, in Malawi, in Zimbabwe, in Mali, in Senegal, and in various other countries. The fourth strategy is community mobilization. Community mobilization. So yes, raising awareness is good, but it's not sufficient. So you need to mobilize. So unions mobilize their members. And then, of course, the teachers mobilize the students, the communities, to help in the effort of getting children out of labor and into school. Part of this is through actually using various methods. It can be theater, for example. It can be school clubs, anti-child labor clubs, for example. It can be committees involving all the key stakeholders within the community. And one of the most successful models EI has used is the creation of child labor-free zones. So the unions working together with communities have identified child labor-free zones. It can be a community, it can be a district, or if the ambition is higher, it can even be a region or province. And then they work together to make sure that these zones are free of any form of child labor. And then finally, uh, strategy number five is creating a safe and inclusive environment for the child, meaning the whole school and the whole classroom. So teachers actually have been working with school leaders with the support of their unions and other partners to make sure that schools are welcoming to all, including the girl child, including those children who have been extricated from child labor so that they don't run away back simply because the school is not conducive. So finally, uh, I want to reiterate the need, one, to support the teachers themselves, because for them to be able to create a learning environment that is conducive and meet the diverse needs of students, they need support, they need training, they need continuous professional development, they need decent salaries and working conditions. So that instead of worrying about where the next meal will come from, they'll focus on what they know how to do best, to teach. For more information about Education International and child labor, visit ei-ie.org. Okay, that was our feature on child labor. Um, I went to a conference on child labor a few years ago, and at that time it was estimated that a quarter billion children, people under 18, 
went out every day to work instead of going to school. This one, this estimate is 160 million. So, probably the answer is somewhere in between. Um, and it's been on the rise lately, with given the pandemic. Bosses love to hire children, as we see, talk about child labor, because they're easy to bully and push around. In many cases, the parents are so poor that the child might be one of the one of the big breadwinners in the family. So, child labor definitely something that needs to be taken on international labor movement. Let's play some music now. I'm going to play one by Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur is addressing the reality of a young girl who gets pregnant. Brenda's got a baby.
Brenda wants to run away. Mama say you're making me lose pay. And social work is here every day. Now Brenda's gotta make her own way. Can't go to a family, they won't let us stay. No money, no babysitter, she couldn't keep a job. She tried to sell crack, but end up getting robbed. So now what's next? It ain't nothing left to sell. So CC sex has a way of leaving hell. It's paying the rent, so she really can't complain. Prostitute fans, slain. Brenda's a name, she's got a bait. Every year the seeds are growing Unseen, unheard, they lie beneath the ground Would you know until their leaves are showing That with weeds all your garden will abound If you close your eyes, stop your ears, hold your tongue Then how can you know? For seeds you cannot see may not be there. Seeds you cannot hear may never grow. In January you still got the choice. You can cut the weeds before they start to bud. If you leave them to grow high, they'll silence your voice. And in December you may pay with your blood. So close your eyes, stop your ears, close your mouth, take it slow. Let others take the lead and you bring up the rear. And later you can say you didn't know. Every day another vulture takes flight. There's another danger born every morning. In the darkness of your blindness, the beast will learn to bite. How can you fight if you can't recognize a warning? So close your eyes, stop your ears, close your mouth, take it slow. Let others take the lead and you bring up the rear. And later you can say you didn't know. Today you may earn a living wage. 
Tomorrow you may be on the dole. Though there's millions going hungry, you needn't disengage, for it's then not you that's fallen in the hole. So close your eyes, stop your ears, close your mouth, take it slow. Let others take the lead and you bring up the rear, and later you can say you didn't know. Today the soldiers took away one, tomorrow they may take away two. One April they took away Greece, but surely they will never take you. So close your eyes, stop your ears, close your mouth, take it slow. Let others take the lead and you bring up the rear, and later you can say you didn't know. It's all right for you if you run with the pack. It's all right if you agree with all they do. If fascism is slowly climbing back, it's not here yet, so what's it got to do with you? So close your eyes, stop your ears, close your mouth, take it slow. Let others take the lead and you bring up the rear, and later you can say you didn't know. The weeds are all around us and they're growing. It will soon be too late for the night. If you leave them on the wind that around the world is blowing, you may pay for your silence with your life. So close your eyes, stop your ears, close your mouth and never dare. And if it happens here, they'll never come for you because they'll know you really didn't care. Talking Wheelchair Blues. I went for a jog in the city air. I met a woman in a wheelchair. I says, I'm sorry to see you're a handicap. She says, what makes you think a thing like that? And she looked at me real steady. She says, you want to drag? So she started to roll and I started to run. She ran the pants off my aching buns. You know, going uphill, I'd hit my stride, but coming down, she'd sail on by. And when I finally caught up with her, she says, not bad for someone able-bodied. You know, with adequate care and supervision, you could be taught simple tasks. So how about something to eat? Well, I says, that would suit me fine. We're right near a favorite place of mine. So we moseyed on over there, but the only way in was up a flight of stairs. Gee, I never noticed that, says I. No problem, the Mater D replied. There's an elevator round the back. So we made it up the stairs on the elevator with the garbage flies and last week's potatoes. I said, I'd like a table for my friend and me. He says, I'll try and find one out of the way. And he says, is she going to be sick, pee on the floor, throw some kind of fit? I says, no, I don't think so. You see, she once had polio, but that was 20 years ago. But if the matter of the fact is told, the simple truth, she can't walk. So he points to a table, she rolls her chair. Some folks look away and others stare. A woman grabs her little girl and says, keep away, honey, that woman's ill. We felt right welcome. Then a man stands up and he starts to babble about the devil and the Holy Bible. Says, woman, you're afflicted with pernicious sin. Pray to Jesus, you walk again. Then he goes back to his table and he sits down. 
Well, the waiter says, what can I get for you? I says, I'll have your special imported brew. He says, what about her? I says, who? Uh, he says, uh, her. Oh, you mean my friend here? He says, yeah. I says, well, what about her? Uh, he says, well, what does she want? Well, I says, why don't you ask her? So, of course, he apologizes and says he's never waited on a cripple before. Well, she talks to the manager when we're through and says there's some things you could do to make it easier for folks in wheelchairs. He says, oh, that's not necessary. Handicap never come here anyhow. Well, I bid farewell to my newfound friend. I said, I'm beginning to understand just a little bit of how it feels to roll through life on a set of wheels. She says, don't feel sorry, don't feel sad. I take the good along with the bad. I was arrested once in a protest demo and the police had to let me go. You see, we were objecting to the fact that public buildings aren't wheelchair accessible. Turned out the jail was the same way. <laughs> Anyhow, I look at it this way. In 50 years, you'll be worse off than I am now. You see, you give us a name and then you give us a place, but we're all the same in this human race. Some of us are called disabled, and the rest of you, well, the rest of you are only temporarily able-bodied. Okay, that was Peggy Seeger. We had a couple of songs from her. Started out with uh, Tupac's Tupac's song, Brenda's Got a Baby. Okay. Um, I remember some of them marking when I first met <clears throat> Tupac. He thought he was just this little snivelly guy. He didn't realize how very deep and profound Tupac was, a true poet. And this one was about a girl named Brenda who's going to have a baby. Kind of reminds you of the case of the 10-year-old who got pregnant, was denied an abortion. Places in the U.S. now where if someone wants an abortion and expresses that, they can be thrown in jail. Penalty for having an abortion greater than, that's another one of our credos. When the penalty for aborting after rape is more se severe than the penalty for rape, then you know it's a war on women. And you know it's a war on women. Okay. See if we got another one of our credos. Well, let's get on with our news. Chipotle, Radio Labor. Railroaders furious with Biden's presidential emergency board. This is on popularresistance.org. Issues recommendations on national contracts siding with rail corporations on all major points. 
Presidential Emergency Board, PEB, appointed by the Biden administration, issued its recommendations Tuesday for a settlement in the railroad industry where more than 100,000 workers have been without a national contract for nearly three years. Report sided with the railroads on virtually every point, recommending wage increases below inflation and no change to the punishing attendance policies which have driven tens of thousands of workers out of the industry. The PEB was appointed last month shortly after railroads in the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen voted by 99.5% to authorize strike action, showing that workers were determined to fight against conditions which have reached a breaking point. Many rail workers are on call 24-7, leaving them unable to spend time with their families or even schedule doctor's appointments have not had a wage increase since before the pandemic. Most recently, train dispatchers at Class 1 railroads also voted by 99% to authorize a strike. Okay, parenthetical comment. If the workers are voting 99% to strike, there must be some egregious situation, conditions, that they're protesting against. Intervention by Biden under powers created by the Anti-Worker Railroad Labor Act of 1926 blocks strike action from the second it could have legally taken place. A PEB had been widely campaigned for by union bureaucrats who falsely presented the White House as a natural arbiter. Railroads and the unions now have 30 days to work out an agreement which could be voted on by workers. If they cannot reach an agreement or if workers vote down the contract, then yet another 30-day cooling-off period will take effect. Congress will likely seek to intervene at that point to block the strike action. We're all disgusted with what's being offered, one worker in Missouri told, told the World Socialist website. Every bit of it is a lie, claiming, including the claim by the carriers that we only put in 34 hours a week. They want to give us less than class, less than the class one railroads than was offered and agreed upon by the class two. Everybody wants We don't care what the union says and we are pissed at them for always telling us that the Democrats have our backs. This is not acceptable, another said, with all the many other things that weren't addressed, along with a health care increase, not for it. PEB 
proposes a 22% cumulative pay increase over five years, retroactive to 2020, proposal which works out to an average 4.5 increase per year is little more than half the current rate of inflation. Check it out. Popular resistance. Ebsa. Rail Raider Rotors. Furious. PNB. Now, what about those 43 students, teacher candidates in Mexico? Oh, you forgot about that. I had also. Mexico's former attorney general has been arrested in connection with the disappearance of 43 students in 2014. Jesus Murillo Caram, who led an inquiry into the atrocity, has been charged with forced disappearance, torture, and the obstruction of justice. Mr. Caram is from the PRI party, which ruled Mexico for the better part of last century. Municipal police opened fire on buses carrying the students on the evening of September 26, 2014. What happened next is disputed. The mysterious disappearance sent shockwaves around the world and triggered widespread protest in Mexico against the impunity and state complicity organized. Findings of the board that was convened to investigate, criticized by independent experts and relatives of missing students for errors and for not apportioning any blame to the armed forces. Thursday, a truth commission established by current President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, AMLO, Accused soldiers of bearing some responsibility for the massacre. So far, only bone fragments from three of the missing students have been recovered. Nothing is known. So, teachers under attack. Teachers under attack, under pressure criticized for the ills of society and massacred. Here's something from the Democratic Socialists of Los Angeles. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without Social Security numbers, aren't privy to the welfare People claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. Oh, well, deport the illegals, bullshit. Just the 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. 
that are realizing the reason they're all poor is due to the vast income inequality, resource price inflation, and combination. Please you. Existence of another poor person is not why you're poor, because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. That's another one of our credos on this. And let's hear now from Habituation Room. Reflect and deny. This is uh, Habituation. Like them deny. Um, Fiorentini, Francesca Fiorentini. We're going to skip the ads. We're not getting anything coming through here. Take a little break and we'll see if we can get Francesca.
That was a little cut from uh, Kind of Blue by uh, Miles Davis. See if we can get Francesca on here. Situation Room Trump fails trying to spin FBI raid. Not coming through. And so we're not getting any bituation. Try to get that later on. Labor history in two minutes. Trump's got, uh, uh, Trump's got, <laughs> that's amazing. What kind of things do you tweet? Or you just tweet back at people? Or you I truth? just tweet back to them and just like, oh, I'm so fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I just thought about yeah. Trump's man boobs. It's not yeah. hard. Anyone? Oh the Retweet best. it. The best is shaped like. There's habituation. Now famous Trump is a little bit of reverse psychology. Now famous. Um, Everything's famous. Took boxes of social media platform client material. Release the hound. <laughs> Just the smallest little, like, naked emperor, no clothing. Hear ye, hear ye, buy a copy of this truth. Christ. Nobody cares. Let's start from but the I, beginning. I want to go to this because Trump is now trying to play a little bit of reverse psychology. Um, he has taken to his social media platform, Truth Social. Truth. Are you on Truth? Not on truth. Are you on truth? I'm on truth. Oh, yes. I am a troll on truth. How? <laughs> I imagine troll. it's just like nothing but trolls and then some real diehard users, kind of like the way that people were trolling the, what was it, the, the like truckers strike? Mm -hmm. yeah. Truckers in heavy quotation marks strike? Um, I'm a troll. True troll. It's, I it's, love it. What's your amazing. What who are you? Are you like per? Are you like Maga Stan Mateen? I, let me see what my name is. I think it's like Trump is my cum daddy or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's somebody with outrageous. Oh, Trump's Trump's cuck is my uh. Trump's <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. What kind of things do you tweet? Are you just tweet back at people? Are you? I truth? just tweet back to him and just like, oh, I'm so part. I'm so glad to be a part of the best cult ever and like. Did anyone else just come thinking about January yeah, 6th? Yeah, yeah, Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, just thought about yeah. Trump's man boobs and got yeah. hard. Anyone? Oh, yeah. the Retweet. Best. 
the best in shape president ever, the best golfer president ever. That's okay, hilarious. so he truthed the other day. Um, oh, great. It has just been learned that the FBI, in its now famous raid of Mar-a-Lago, now famous, everything's famous, took boxes of privileged attorney-client material and also executive privilege material, which they knowingly should not have taken. By copy of this truth, I respectfully request that these documents be immediately returned to the location from which they were taken. Thank you. Wait, wait, wait. By copy of this truth is... It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's a declaration. He just because he tweeted this or truthed it, whatever the fuck it's called. Da, 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 da. Release Yay. the hounds. <laughs> just the smallest little, like naked emperor, no clothing. Hear ye, hear ye! By copy of this truth, I, nobody cares. Nobody. Cares. And also, the best part is he's like, you actually, you you owe me those documents back. Yeah, like, like no. no, it was a warrant, bro. Like, what the fuck? Like, I just, I just be like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, there was a warrant. You knew this was gonna happen. You know what's in the warrant. We're we're seeing details of like, you know, box one contains, you know, classified stuff. Mm -hmm. Box two, blah. Um, there, there is a, it's it's unclear how much more we're going to learn. Um, but yeah, it, homie, you can't flip this on everybody. And your truth doesn't matter. I'm sorry. I love how, like, they're doing the, like, I'm speaking my truth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, very, like, the people that, that they don't, they, they talk shit about. And, like, right. and that's all defund the FBI shit. Like, they were the biggest, like, Blue Lives Matter people. And then, like, they just switched to defund the FBI. Like, when they were talking about defunding the police, oh, you guys are traitors and all this stuff. Now they're to defund the FBI because the FBI is doing its job. And some, some Trumper that I've, that I'm friends with on Facebook, he posted like, is it Mayor Garland hmm. uh, in a picture of uh, Ghislaine Maxwell on a plane or whatever? The, the fake, like, yeah, Photoshop image of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, really? Like, you really can't? Do you... And I, the thing about it is, like, you don't think Trump was hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein? Like, New no. York, rich New York billionaires. You don't think they were hanging out together and doing all the same sick shit? There's like a photo of them together as they're in mid like sexist remarks. Like you, yeah. they're like, I wonder how old she is. Like you know that's exactly what they're saying. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, at Mar-a-Lago of all places. At, of all places. Uh, mm -hmm. Which, by the way, the security at Mar-a-Lago is so fucking lax. Like, remember there was some like, um, I think it was like a Chinese dissident or someone who like just paid a lot of money and got like into some back room like mm -hmm. fucking dinner and and she was like like skulking around the whole place and was like yeah it's fine ah, she's got money like as long as you throw down for a thirty dollar like shitty margarita or a uh, 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 what is it a uh, a martini with ice cubes in it as I've seen and we've talked about uh, they serve at Trump residences martinis Trump well, I, oh man. Ice inside, Mateen. <sighs> it makes me like the 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 amateur mixologist wants to die yeah, inside James, of me. James Bond is rolling in his grave right now. What's going on, Frantifa? If you haven't already, subscribe to this channel right now. Hit that button and also. Francesca Fiorentini.
commenting on um, the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Our former president calls it a raid. The FBI is looking for top secret documents that he may have taken in when he left the presidency and taken to his home in Florida. And uh, did those or did they not include nuclear information? I mean, we're all out here thinking, oh my God, you know, he had he had the nuclear codes. Did he take those and put them in his store them in his home? Forbid it. Okay, I want to talk a little now, or I want to play a little now about Bill Russell. Bill Russell, of course, was a basketball player, which is what most people know about him. But he was also his own person. He was his own uh, worker for social justice and for the rights of basketball players and everyone else, you know black people in general. Well, let's play this. See what they got. Boston Celtics. Winner for the second straight season of the Most Valuable Player Award. A clutch performer, if ever one lived. He's the brightest star in the NBA. William Felton Russell was a monumental figure in the history of the NBA. One of the greatest players ever he blazed trails and broke barriers. Yet for all his accolades, one aspect of his transcendent career stands out. He has more titles to his credit than any other player in NBA history. Russell is the greatest winner of all time, the most valuable player of all time, and no one can equal his record of 11 championships in 13 years. Russell grew up in Monroe, Louisiana, before his family moved west to Oakland, California. He was told early that when challenged, he should never back down. When we first moved into the projects, and these four kids ran by, and one of them slapped me as he's going by. I would have said, told my mother, and we went all through the projects looking for those guys. But you're gonna fight every one of them one at a time. There was five of them. I lost three and won two. And so I got home. <laughs> crying and she says don't cry you did what you had to do as a teenager in oakland he would blossom into a star at mccliman's high school and go on to play close to home at the university of san francisco his defensive abilities were unprecedented and there's a fight for the rebound taft recovers and he can move russell blocks his shot and the dons are showing their power Russell led his school to back-to-back -to -back NCAA titles and would cap off his amateur career by winning Olympic gold in Melbourne in 1956. Heading into the NBA draft that year, Red Auerbach of the Boston Celtics understood that Russell could transform his team. Auerbach engineered a trade dealing popular all-star Ed McCauley and talented rookie Cliff Hagen to St. Louis, clearing the way for the Celtics to sign Russell. And just as he had done in college, 
Bill Russell redefined the game defensively. I remember thinking to myself, well, we not only got ourselves a rebounder, but it looks to me like he was such a great athlete for his size and such quickness. I said, I think we're getting a little bit more than, than we bargained for in Bill Russell. Kuzi, waiting for his man, bounce pass to Russell. Basket is good in his spot. He can rebound, he can run, he can play defense. He made everybody around him better. It was the ultimate piece of the puzzle. Just months after Russell joined the team, the Celtics were champions. The all-around play of the Celtics is too much for the Hawks to overcome. Boston down St. Louis to win the NBA's World Series for the first time and become the professional basketball champion. Russell would soon be joined in the league by another dominant force, Wilt Chamberlain. The winning is only important if you beat the best. My friend Wilt Norman Chamberlain was far and away the best player I've ever played against. Throughout the 1960s, their rivalry would become a centerpiece of the NBA game and captivate audiences. Over the years, it also became one of mutual respect. Wilt's statistics were astounding, but Russell kept collecting championships. After he got in the league, Folks were trying to compare us. I decided that I will never change the way I play for the Celtics. Starting in 1959, Russell would lead the Celtics on a still unmatched run in American team sports, eight consecutive league titles. Bill Russell, 30 points and 40, I repeat, 40 rebounds. Russell used to become physically ill before every ball game. I mean, that's how much each particular game meant to him. West all alone. Look at Russell come down. Hey, what a play by Russell! Was it important to dominate? Yes. It was important to dominate because uh, one thing that you want to do to your opponents is to make them think, make them know they can't win. You shut a guy down or block a guy's shot and say, yes, we did that to you. If you come back, we'll do it again. That's it. It's all over. It's all over. Everybody in the place is yelling and screaming. They deserve it, John. They're the greatest basketball team that was ever assembled. But even as they dominated throughout the 1960s, Russell and his teammates also had to battle the degradations of racism. One such instance took place before a preseason game against the St. Louis Hawks, scheduled to be played in Lexington, Kentucky. Casey went down to the restaurant in the hotel we're staying and they would not serve it we decided we were going to play russell helped lead a boycott of african-american players from both teams russell's sense of justice extended beyond the world of basketball he also sought to make a difference in society at large after civil rights leader medgar evers was murdered Russell flew to Jackson, Mississippi to help oversee the integration of youth basketball games. Well, do you think that you will get some white kids to play basketball with Negro kids? I think so. I don't see why not. My kids uh, play with white kids, and nobody got hurt yet. When heavyweight champion Muhammad Ali refused to fight in Vietnam because of his religious beliefs, Russell joined America's finest African-American athletes to support him when we had the summit in, in Cleveland to see how Muhammad Ali felt about going into the army. Bill was right there. 
and with no fear. There's so many things that he contributed by how he lived his life, how he dealt with his success, and the pride that he had. You know, we needed the examples of people with pride. Jackie Robinson was a hero to all of us. But my attitude was that Jackie took us from point A to point B. I was not going to revisit point A. I was going to start at point B. By 1966, the Celtics had established themselves as a dynasty. As the legendary Auerbach stepped down, Russell was on the verge of making even more history. With his hiring as Celtics head coach, Bill Russell broke through a long-standing barrier and had to face his share of doubters. As the first legal coach of a major league sport, can you do the job impartially without any racial prejudice in reverse? Yes. How? Because the, the most important factor is respect. And basketball respects the man for his ability, period. Russell would grow into his role as player-coach. After a playoff loss, the Celtics recaptured the crown in 1968. The following season, the Celtics were an aging team and found themselves fighting again for an NBA title, but this time as underdogs against a powerful Los Angeles Lakers team that had just added Chamberlain to its roster. It was only fitting that for these two longtime foes, the series would go the distance. I can't help but wonder, how do you feel about going into another seventh game, uh, this time on somebody else's floor? We've done it before. You get back out. For the last game, Jack Kent Cook was the owner of the Lakers. He put out a sheet in all the seats. When the Lakers win the championship, the balloons and the rafters would fall down and Chick Hearns would interview Elgin Baylor, Jerry West, and Will Chamberlain in that particular order. Well, I took this back to Russell. Sam showed me that, and I said, well, a couple of things. It is humanly impossible for the Lakers to win the game tonight. The Lakers can't beat us. But it's going to be fun to watch them get those balloons out one at a time. Naturally, Russell walked away from his final game a winner. Listen, I'm here with Bill Russell. Bill, this must have been a great win for you. Exactly. One more time. I know it's hard to say what's in your mind right now, Bill, and it must have been a great win. Boy, this is such a, a great bunch of guys, you know, uh, and it's, been, it's just been so, so fabulous the way they played for me, and it sounds all corny, you know, you know, start talking like that, but... I told these guys before the game, I don't care what happens, I wouldn't trade you guys for any guys in the world. Bill Russell was a champion on the court, a powerful voice for equality, and a heroic example for all who followed. You young people here that would like to be president of the United States, you can do anything that you want to do, if you want to do it bad enough. Thank you very much. Bill Russell, the man, is someone who stood up for the rights and dignity of all men. He marched with King. He stood by Ali and made possible the success of so many who would follow. For the game's ultimate winner, Russell's legacy lives on 
through the NBA Finals MVP Award, which bears his name. I've never wanted to live my life to get accolades or honors or anything. I've tried to live my life doing what I think is right and for the right reasons. And I think that I did okay. So that's our feature on Bill Russell and his life. Um, Russell was someone who just didn't go along. Russell was so good he could have played without saying a word, and he still would have been a dominant basketball player. But as a person, he couldn't do that. He was... a. Uh, part of a greater force, you know, not just a player, but a black player, and not just a black player, but a great black player. So that gave him a pulpit. Speak for him. In memoriam, Bill Russell. All right. Oh, wow. My choice? I bet Gina. Skip that ad. My body, my mind, my choice. To wear the clothes I like even as my spirit roams naked. My choice. To be a size 0 or a size 15. They don't have a size for my spirit. and never will. To use cotton and silk to trap my soul is to believe you can halt the expansion of the universe. Or capture sunlight in the palm of your hand. Your mind is caged, let it free. My body is not. Let it be. My choice. To marry or not to marry. To have sex before marriage. To have sex outside of marriage. To not have sex. My choice. To love temporarily or to lust forever. My choice. To love a man or a woman or both. Remember, you are my choice. I'm not your privilege. The bindi on my forehead, the ring on my finger, adding your surname to mine, they're ornaments. They can be replaced. My love for you cannot. So treasure that. My choice. To come home when I want. Don't be upset if I come home at 4 a.m. Don't be fooled if I come home at 6 p.m. My choice. To have your baby or not. To pick you from 7 billion choices or not. So don't get coffee. My pleasure may be your pain. My songs, your noise. My order, your anarchy. Your sins, my virtues. My choices are like my fingerprints. They make me unique. I am the tree, not the forest. I am the snowflake, not the snowfall. You are the snowflake. Wake up. Get out of the shitstorm. 
I choose to empathize or to be indifferent. I choose to be different. I am the universe, infinite in every direction. This is my choice. Ipika Padakoni, my choice with 99 women. You couldn't see because of the video. 99 women, my choice, Out, outlining all the choices that uh, he has. Throughout this pandemic, we have been blessed with tireless workers, many of whom have died trying to help others. This is a song from an album called Fallen Heroes, Songs for Essential Workers, a nurse's lullaby. <laughs> That's a beautiful song about a, a nurse, a COVID nurse comforting a patient 
in the middle of the night, a scared patient. In those early days when the COVID was just laying people out, killing people. Okay, now I'd like to do something... Uh, Talking about children and children's books. This is a book called That's Not Fair. About uh, Emma Tenayuka. And it's a beautifully illustrated book. 1925. A little girl with the shining black eyes walked eagerly to school. She passed a small shack that had no door. Inside, a baby was crying as his mother tried to warm him with her thin arms and her thin shawl. The little girl knew they were cold and her black eyes flickered. She passed a boy, maybe four years old. In his hands were a few small pecans he was shelling and sharing with two younger brothers. They ate eagerly, as if that was all they would have to eat today. The little girl knew they were hungry again. When she arrived at school, her teacher announced happily, Emma, look, we have a new book to read today. Emma loved to read. She had read every book in the classroom. But even as she poured over the new book, she kept remembering the children's seen that morning. After school, she took the new book home again, read it again and again. As she sat on the front porch reading, Maria, a neighbor about her age, peeked over and was asked, what are you doing? I'm reading a wonderful story. Would you like to read it too? And I don't know how to read, so Last year, I was starting to learn the letters, but then the weather began to warm and the flowers began to bloom and my family had to go far away to pick onions. We picked onions, then strawberries. We picked cabbage, then cotton. We picked beets, then corn. By the time we came back, school had ended. Summer had passed. And school started again. When I went back to school, I was lost. Everyone knew how to read, and I didn't. I had missed it. Emma's black eyes flashed like lightning in the black sky. Not fair. Maria sighed. I'm so far behind, I'll never learn to read. Emma grew quiet, very quiet, and the little girl's words stayed inside. On Sunday afternoon, Emma went with Grandpa to the park. The air was crisp and cool. The sun was shining. Wonderful smells of roasted corn and freshly made tamales filled the plaza. People laughed and music played. Grandpa's large, warm hand was holding hers. one corner of the park, people were quiet, listening to a man speak. By his side, his wife had a baby, 
And by her side, there were six children lined up like stair steps. Emma looked at their clothing, thin and torn, and their beautiful brown skin, deepened in color by the sun. How will I feed my family? Emma asked. We worked all summer, picking crops, but when it came time to get our pay, the farmer chased us away with a gun. Now we have no food and no place to stay. Papa saw a flash of lightning in Emma's eyes, and she whispered, But Grandpa, that's not fair. That night, Grandpa poured a cup of frothy hot chocolate for Emma. Then Grandpa held her in his arms. Emma told them about the cold baby, about the hungry little boys, and why Maria couldn't leave. Her words tumbled out as if they had been shut inside of her. It's not fair, she sobbed. Grandpa listened, and her words touched the depths of his heart. The next day, Emma and Grandpa went for a walk. They passed large, handsome houses and tiny shacks, from both, people smiled and waved at them. They walked on and they saw people hard at work. Some were going into dark, dreary factories to shell pecans. Some entered elegant buildings. They saw a man so old he could hardly talk, could hardly walk, that he gradled his guitar in his arms and sang. Words sounded so beautiful that his rich voice almost didn't need the melody. My good friend's son, who distributes light, should have showed the boss that he could be equal like you. You're so easy. Teach my boss to be as equal as you. After the walk, Emma was still humming the song. Again, Grandpa poured hot chocolate into Emma's favorite cup. She drank the soothing hot cinnamon chocolate. Grandpa said, sometimes things are not fair, but still each one of us can usually do something about it, even if it's just a little small. Emma asked, like when we gave the man in the park our ice cream money? Maybe he brought milk for the baby? Or the other day when you took me to vote for laws to make things fair? Grandpa nodded. And the old man, he helped too, said Emma, by singing a song with the right words to make people understand. Next day on the way back from school, Emma saw three young brothers she said as she handed them an apple for their lunch. But she knew it was just one apple. They would finish it before she was around the corner. Then Emma saw the young mother with a shawl, thin shawl. Here she said, handing her brand new blue sweater to the mother. For the baby. She knew that it was just one sweater. It might not, might last through a winter or something. When she got home, she began to teach Maria letters, words. 
this thing, they would pass on. Years passed, and Emma grew into a smart, kind teenager. All around her, there was hunger, misery, and poverty. And the poorest of all the workers were the pecan shells. Many were paid only four cents for their best hour of work. Most were Mexican-American. Most were women. Some were even children. Emma began to speak to others about things that were not fair. Spoke in public parks and in the market where the farmers sold their vegetables. Even spoke on the steps of city hall. When she spoke to the people, her dark eyes flashed and her voice was full of courage and caring. People listened and her words touched their hearts. Sparkling hope, bright as lightning in the dark. That's almost 30 years. But many of their bosses would not listen. They wanted to pay the workers as little as they could. Emma was 21. The bosses decided to drop the pecan shellers' pay even lower. Now they could barely make three cents for an hour of work. Workers feared that their children would starve to death. Emma was angry. She saw so many people go to work when it was still dark and late. Until it was late at night. Many worked so many hours that they were coughing and sick, and still they did not earn enough to feed their children. She saw owners work one or two hours a day had so much money they would throw away elegant clothing they'd used only once or throw away food that the workers wished they could give their children. She spoke to the owners, begging them to think of the workers. One owner laughed. What does that matter if they're poor? They're Mexicans. Emma knew that was not fair. When the pecan shellers asked her for help, she knew just what to do. We'll all stop working until the owners listen to you, said Emma. We will make a soup kitchen to feed your families. If we all help each other, we can win. No one's going to listen to you, some people said, laughing at her. But 12,000 pecan shellers listened. Factories were almost empty. For nearly two months, the businesses made no money. Many of the owners hated Emma for this. She was threatened and jailed repeatedly, but Emma would not stop fighting for justice. Finally, the owners were forced to raise the workers' pay. It was only one victory. The story of all the pecan shellers appeared in newspapers all over the country. Those who had been powerless had won against unfairness. People everywhere celebrated. Poor loved Emma for what she had done. She had given them a voice and given them hope. Tomorrow would be brighter for everyone. That at last. Okay, so this is uh, an example of literature for 
young people, for children that deals with important social issues and labor history. This, of course, is the story of Emma Tenayuka, who organized pecan sellers in the late 1930s in Texas, San Antonio, Texas, mostly. Every week I'd like to read a kid's book that deals with these issues. If you know of any good ones, please let me know. It can be reached at marusi2 at aol.com, M-A-R-U-S-I, number two, at aol.com. And that's going to do it for today. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they work didn't work for, someone else gets worked for a dollar they didn't get. <laughs> and here's Carrie Mirage. This is the B signing off. Stay tuned, if you will, for Scott Walker and Flat Black Plastic. Okay, wishing you a good week and good work. Patrick.
will gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> International banking, diplomatic cables, nuclear missile launch codes all rely on unbreakable encryption. What if these codes were no longer secure? That nightmare scenario seems to be a reality. A shadowy underworld syndicate is auctioning off access to the world's encrypted secrets. The only plausible explanation for this ability? Someone is exploiting the holy grail of code-breaking quantum computing. Veteran CIA agent John Clooney must track down the perpetrators and retrieve this technology from the U.S. government. Personal, Biden objective has already cost the lives of fellow agents. John Wessex, The Enigma Bell Curse is the first book of the John Clooney trilogy. Get it now. jokes and they'll even say hi sir or they tell you how to get improvement oh wait what is this damn thing called it's a joke workshop joke workshop yep every monday six to eight p.m on mutiny radio saying i can tell my jokes every monday six to eight that's what i'm saying joke workshop John Clooney's friend and adversary, private investigator Anton Zuber, has been CIA agent requested aid. Clooney may have questioned Zuber's taste in cuisine, but never his 
escaping with his life, Rooney is sidelined. Rooney attempts to discover how Gruber was compromised. The investigation delves into Gruber's astonishing past, from his unpleasant days as a German border guard to life as a politician, from his time at the Dark Clubs and Black Flyers to a trip up the Amazon in search of John Wessex, The Prague Deceptions, the third book of the John Clooney thrillers. Hey, Mutineer Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent loving for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out? Side bags and cool stuff. Talk to Under. Go to skinonskins.com. That's S K I N O N S K I N S.com. You just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather? Go see Under. Everything is handcrafted and understated quality. Fine leather, handcrafted goods for all of your needs. He also does fixes. Maybe you love that jacket. Put the zipper back in. Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com. Volunteer for the San Francisco Food Bank. The San Francisco Food Bank release on volunteers like you to help sort, package, and distribute healthy food to people in need in San Francisco. Each year, over 22,000 people contribute thousands of hours to fighting hunger in our community. This support will enable the SF Food Bank to distribute 43.5 million pounds of food this year, enough for 93.000 meals every day. But they can't do it without volunteers. Visit www.sffoodbank.com. 
www.sffoodbank.org/volunteer. Again, www.sffoodbank.org/volunteer to find out how you can help. are already dead. A shadowy group of killers for hire is eliminating world leaders, crime lords, and CIA agents. Inexplicably, the deceased contract killers have the DNA of people who are long dead. CIA agent John Clooney devises a dangerous plan to capture a shadow killer alive. Contract a hit on himself. John Wessex, The Shadow Killers, is the second book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Take a psychedelic circus journey to the dark side of the moon with Bow and Arrow Presents Dark Side of the Circus, a psychedelic circus show set to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Playing for one weekend only September 16th through 18th at Dance Mission Theater. Tickets available now at Dark Side of the Circus. Dot brownpapertickets.com Mutiny Radio listeners can get a $25 ticket with promo code MUTINY420 Bow and Arrow will see you soon on the dark side of the moon.